Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Yes, we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 And I take it it's our own Ken Tobin who has bedecked my microphone stand with, I can't, there isn't quite bunting. It's what you describe this as plaits. You know, the plaits that you make out of the red and the white wool. And he has festooned the entire mic stand and there's bits of it hanging off and it's making it difficult because it's dropping into pieces of paper that I'm trying to read. But thanks to uh, Ken for that. And of course, part one of the Rebel treble has been completed the under 20 hurlers delivering the county's second All-Ireland crown at this age grade grade in the space of just six weeks and a potential silverware laden five days for Cork hurling which of course will include the All-Ireland minor and senior final appearances at the weekend. It began in fantastic fashion yesterday evening with the uh, county's under 20s ripping through what many sporting commentators are saying a rather tame Galway challenge that uh, they won by 11 points last night and there's some fantastic fantastic photographs of the Cork players celebrating their victory in Semple Stadium in Thurles uh, yesterday. So congratulations to all of the lads and doesn't it really show that the future for the GAA in both hurling and football here in Cork is really, really looking promising. And as I say, let this be the start of the rebel treble come on the rebels and actually there's fantastic pictures as well in in a lot of the papers of the banter and the fun that's going on between Cork and Limerick and I wonder is there an added dimension when you're into the All-Ireland final and you're into the All-Ireland final with a neighbouring county because that seems to be adding to a little bit of the fun side of it because you can have towns that straddle both, you know, border towns that straddle both counties and you can have a huge divide within the town and of course Charleville would be a typical example at the moment for Cork and Limerick and there's a great picture on the Corkman newspaper 
of a Garda, John O'Halloran, who also happens to be a referee and he is pretending, Maria, to be separating Cork fan Kevin Owens from Charleville GAA Club and Hammy Dawson from St. Patrick's GAA Club in Limerick trying to get the better of each other ahead of the All-Ireland final. They both have hurlies in their hands and uh, poor old Garda John, John O'Halloran with a great big smile on his face is in the middle of them. It's a great, great photograph in the Corkman newspaper, which of course is out today. Please remember to buy your local papers. It's important that we buy papers, but in particular that we support our local papers. And then a terrific photograph making a lot of the papers today from West Cork and it is from the very pretty uh, village of Drimaleague and a gorgeous, smiling photograph of Father Ted Starr of uh, Mrs Doyle fame. Pauline McGlynn, of course, only joined us a couple of weeks ago. She's been on this programme many times when she's trying to encourage all of us to rehome the little hens. But a fabulous photograph of her and it is in colour. And she is wearing a rather interesting denim ensemble, but it's a denim check. It's check trousers, kind of a larger check trousers. And then her denim jacket has a smaller check print on it and she's a floral blouse underneath. She certainly is standing out but it was a photograph of her. It was the first day of filming for Graham Norton's book uh, Holding which took place in Dream League uh, yesterday but it really is a great great photograph and I'm assuming people in West Cork are having great fun with the filming of Graham Norton's the adaptation of his book Holding and it's one of those TV programmes that I just can't wait to see I've read the book. I really enjoyed the book. But I always love to see TV adaptations of books, particularly a book that I mightn't have read, you know, in many years. And you're trying to remember it and you're trying to think, "Uh, did that really happen in the book? Or what are they? Are they keeping closely to the book or not? Because if I like a book, I like the TV or the film adaptation to keep as closely to the book as possible. And I know that that always isn't possible. So certainly this is one TV programme holding that I'm very much uh, looking forward to. And a TV programme that was on on Tuesday night, but it was on too late because it was after 10 and that's bedtime for me. So I recorded it. It's the Anton Deck, our DNA story. Now, seemingly it had been first shown in November of... 2019 and I must have for whatever reason missed it or maybe it was shown on uh, on a channel that I don't have. Perhaps it was shown on ITV because I rarely get to see anything on ITV. So m- maybe that was it. But I certainly hadn't seen it and it was RTE are running it on Tuesday nights. I, I don't know if it's just a two-parter or not but the first part was on on last Tuesday and I should say I only got to, only got to sit down and watch it yesterday and it was following their paternal bloodline and they both of course have Irish ancestry. So it was a lovely programme where both of them were in tears for most of it. But part two of Anton Deck's DNA story, which will be shown next Tuesday night on RTE 1 at five past uh, ten. And in the second part of the programme, they are following the bloodlines of their mothers and they're using DNA analysis and they're using uh, genealogy. But one line of inquiry is going to be for aunt's mother's Bloodline, and when people say Ant and Dick, which is Ant, Ant is the taller of the two. So it's Ant McPartland. His mother's bloodline brings his family's roots back to the town of Formoy, and it the filming actually took place in July of 2019. And Ant and Dick caused quite a stir when they come to town, and it seems it's Ant's 
great-grandmother, Kathleen McGrath, fondly remembered by aunt as Nana Kitty. She was actually born in the town of Formoy and then emigrated when she was around the age of uh, 13. So the second part will feature them because I know the first part ends up with them saying that they're going to America, uh, but they also end up in Formoy. So keep a lookout for that. Uh, as I say, it was first aired in November. I certainly d- I didn't see it first time round, but it will be on next Tuesday night. Uh, RTE at five past at ten. If somebody can let me know, was it shown on RTE before? Are they just that they're into the summertime? Are they just into a lot of reruns? Is that what's going on at the moment? 1850 There'll be no major easing of the remaining COVID-19 restrictions. According to the papers today, it's going to be at least until the end of September. And one of the reasons there's speculation that nothing will happen until the end of September was they will allow students to go back into school they'll be in school for a full month at that stage colleges will have started to reopen and they'll obviously then be able to get a better feel of what's going to happen once the schools and colleges reopen and once children are back mixing again in the classroom the government is drafting a new plan that the new plan obviously is going to be for the fully reopening of a society but it will be the end of this month, end of August, before we get to see what that actual plan is going to look like. But the vast majority of the easing of the restrictions will be with us until at least, and I'm saying at least because it could get extended, it'll be the end of September. Michal Martin, our Taoiseach, wants to see the successful return of school in the coming uh, weeks before making any significant changes especially around things like social distancing we're still told that two metre social distancing is so important things then like confirmations and first holy communions which has caused upset in so many families they certainly would be permitted they would be going ahead in September but it is still looking very unlikely that indoor live entertainment will be given the green light to resume and with that indoor light in live entertainment things like social dancing that we're always getting calls in about any sign of that coming back we've spoken with musicians we've spoken with singers desperate to get back in to start doing concerts any of those events it, it's un, unlikely that they're going to be given the green light anytime soon a roadmap for the entertainment sector is likely to be published and then uh, what's looking like will happen it won't just be opened up in a free for all for everyone there will be a series of pilot indoor arts uh, events and theatres that's how it will uh, start the reopening of nightclubs The plans are being drafted. Again, they're likely to start with some trial events. But of course, what a lot of entertainers are pointing out at the moment is you can go across the border to Northern Ireland and they're having huge events, both indoors and outdoors. And obviously the same thing is happening in the UK. But the new plan is unlikely to see current restrictions on indoor or outdoor dining uh, lifted in the short term. So they're going to remain uh, the same. Now, obviously, a lot of this news is going to come as a huge disappointment to the Arts and the Culture Minister, Catherine uh, Martin, because she now has been told that she won't be at the high level capital subcommittee meeting despite the fact that she requested that she be at it so that she could fight on behalf of those within the live entertainment uh, sector. She asked to be uh, included but her request has fallen on uh, deaf ears. She was meeting with the sector yesterday and she actually made what many would say was an extraordinary decision to encourage the industry to lobby 
her cabinet colleagues to ease restrictions because I suppose she's basically saying to those within the sector I'm trying my best and I'm getting nowhere so I need you now to go and lobby all of the uh, my cabinet uh, colleagues. The senior government source said last night that Minister Martin would not be invited to attend today's cabinet uh, committee meeting. The source said the meeting was scheduled to look at overall pandemic pandemic responses prior to discussing the new reopening map. Now that new reopening map won't be discussed until next week. Yesterday, Minister Catherine Martin told the entertainment sector she has deep concerns about the disparity in the number of spectators that are permitted to go to a sporting uh, event versus the numbers that are allowed to go to an arts event. And I know that's what a lot in the sector is saying. It's safe to allow tens of thousands of people at a sporting event but yet you're saying it's not safe to allow uh, thousands of people to attend a live uh, gig instead. The Minister said she gave the three party leaders a roadmap for reopening the sector. She gave that early uh, this uh, month. She was hoping it was going to be considered at the 6th of August but she said it wasn't approved. She said despite her best uh, efforts. The spokesperson for the Taoiseach said work was ongoing on this new roadmap for the easing or removal of all all of the remaining restrictions so that's for everyone across all of society. They say the government fully understands the frustration of those sectors of the economy that have still remained closed but they say it's important to stress that the continued restrictions are based on public health advice. Now the Cabinet Committee is meeting with senior public health officials today. They'll discuss the current situation with coronavirus, what are the numbers looking like, how many are in hospital, how many are in ICU and obviously they're going to look at our extremely successful vaccination programme. Then a separate meeting is going to be held next week and that's when the Taoiseach and a select group of ministers who sit on the Cabinet Committee on COVID-19 They'll discuss the reopening plan. I mean, that's the meeting I think that Catherine Martin really wanted to be at, but she's been told no. Then there will be a full cabinet meeting that will need to be held and then they'll sign off on the plan before it is published. And I say, as I say, they're expecting it to be published at the end of the month, which is obviously the end of next week, but nothing expected to be in place before the end of September at the very, very, uh, uh, the very, very earliest. And a gradual system for people returning to offices. That's also going to be spoken about. That's expected to be in the plan. However, government sources say some businesses are making their own plans, which they are entitled to do. Requirements to wear masks in shops, on public transport, all expected to stay in place for some time to come. And the number of spectators expected at horse rating meetings that's going to increase. At the moment they're at 500 spectators. That's what it is for most sports but that is expected to increase. But that's what will frustrate frustrate those who are in the live entertainment sector that if they're seeing an increase on what they say is already high numbers for sporting events you can see how the live entertainment uh, sector will take great umbrage from that and really feel like they are being left behind. Now alcohol is still so cheap in Ireland that the cost of reaching the weekly low risk limit is under €5 for women and under €8 for men. To discuss the latest alcohol cost survey by Alcohol Action Ireland, I'm joined by Ewan McKinney. Good morning to you, Ewan. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. And I suppose it's important to say that these prices are for the off-trade, not the on-trade like pubs and restaurants. Exactly. A very important qualification. Um, So, in normal times, um, 
about two-thirds of the alcohol that Ireland's drinking population purchase. They purchase from the retail sector. That's your typical supermarkets, convenience stores, corner shops, garages, etc. Um, and then the other third is purchased in the what we call the on-trade, which is essentially pubs, clubs and restaurants. Uh, so our survey seeks to look at the... Uh, on the off trade, because you know we think that that is primarily where the greatest difficulty in relation to our relationship with alcohol is actually occurring, and we know that price uh, is a significant contributor to simulating demand and so what we have discovered and what we continue to show in our annual survey is just how affordable alcohol is in the uh, off trade so typically uh a standard drink, and you refer to the HSE Department of Health guidelines, you know, which say you shouldn't have any, if you're a drinker and as a man, you shouldn't have any more than 17 standard drinks in a week, um, or a woman 11 standard drinks in a week. And so in the market at the moment, you, you, you can purchase that standard drink. Uh, if beer is your choice, you can purchase that for 46 cent. Uh, if cider is your choice, you can purchase that for 45 cents. If wine is your choice, it's 56 cents and onwards and into spirits where it reaches uh, a, a high, the high price of whiskey at 68 cents uh, per, per standard drink. And so when you do the math, then you, as you say, you come out with a figure whereby if if people follow that public health alcohol advice as a man, you can you can reach that threshold by spending as little as seven euros sixty five cent, and for a woman less than a fiver at four ninety five. Um, so these are these again demonstrate just simply a the exceptional affordability of alcohol across every community in Ireland, and again reinforces the necessity for minimum unit pricing, which will from the fourth of January next year significantly change that availability of that cheap, strong alcohol um, because from the 4th of January, none of those standard drinks can be purchased for less than one euro. You say that cheap alcohol has been supported by a sophisticated pricing strategy. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, essentially, people might be under the assumption that perhaps, you know, the discount, uh, the discount supermarkets may be the source of uh, the only place for cheap alcohol. Yeah. Um, but in actual fact, when we look at the cross range of uh, supermarkets, convenience stores, as we have done in this survey, what you'll see is that actually, when it comes to certainly when it comes to products like beer and cider, that it doesn't matter whether you're in Turles or Terenure or whether you're in Mallow or uh, Malahide. Uh, you're, you're going to get the same price. Uh, the price will be the same uh, for the standard drink. Now, the, the packaging or the, the particular offering may change. In other words, super, you know, convenience stores tend to have a smaller packaging, typically four packs, six packs, that type of stuff, maybe an eight pack, whereas in supermarkets it tends to be maybe 18, 20, or in some cases 24. The slabs. And so what, yeah, exactly. So what supermarkets tend to do is just offer more volume. Uh, to the consumer, but the price point, the price point is the same mm. whether you're purchasing in that convenience store, as I say, in wherever you want to pay, from Skibbereen to 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 uh, to Swords, it doesn't make any difference. And so the reason that's the case is because, well, first and foremost, there are only five or six players in the supermarket market, uh, and they're all chasing 
consumers with a real hyper discounting of alcohol. But then when you get into the convenience stores, there's really only two major entities that are controlling that market or have the, the lion's share of that market. And people may think that, you know, all these different brands of convenience stores, but they're really only owned by two entities. Uh, and so they, they, they largely control the price of that alcohol. And again, the, you know, the point, I suppose, is that at that uh, retail level, you're, the consumer is getting eight times multiple of their purchasing power than they would in the on-trade. And, you know, your 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 listeners would be saying, oh, God, I wish I could buy a, a, a pint of beer for, um, as we would be indicating here, for 92 cents. Um, but, you know, we know that a pint of beer in a, in a bar is likely to be four to five euros. So you can see the multiple on on beer and cider is about four to five times. But at, at wine and spirits level, it's actually about eight times the multiple. Um, and as I say, you know, the point about all of this is that this availability of really, really cheap alcohol is undoubtedly continuing to drive excessive alcohol use. And the problem with that is that we're, you know, we, we continue to live in a country where three people are dying every day from excessive yeah, and, alcohol and, and use. I, yeah, and I think it's something we don't seem to discuss enough, the fact that so many people die every day from abuse of alcohol. And so many hospital beds are taken up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Health Research Board uh, published a report last last month, which is the 1st of July, which indicated that in Ireland, amongst the drinking population, and there's about 2.6, 2.7 million people who drink in this country, about 600,000 of those, just under 15%, have what can be shown as a prevalence of an alcohol use disorder. Uh, so we have a really chronic problem with alcohol, and that level of uh, disorder leads to really bad outcomes when it comes to our health and our well-being. And, you know, as I say, three people are observable deaths are happening every day in Ireland. Uh, you know, two of those deaths will likely be from illness. One of those deaths will likely be from an incident. And, you know, we we, we, we simply seem to ignore the fact that this level of chronic problem exists in Ireland. Um, and indeed, as I say, when that Health Research Board was uh, published, that report was published, the Department of Health um, had very little to say about it. It did highlight some issues around drug use, but they said absolutely nothing about alcohol use. And so it is an omerta around alcohol misuse in Ireland. Um, but anyways, I think that the point... I suppose the good news, from some degree, is that we think, anyways, that this, uh, from the 4th of January uh, next year, we will see the implementation of minimum unit pricing, which we've discussed a, a couple of times in the Many, program, many times, you and yeah, many times. Time, and, I yes. mean, that, that will make and, a difference. It will, because, you know, essentially, those prices that I that I gave you there, the beer at 46 cents or vodka at 63 cents. Can't um, happen. Or, uh, can't happen. It, yeah. They'll have to be sold. They'll have to be sold for more than one euro. Um, so that that really will shift uh, and remove that really cheap drink. You no longer will be able to buy a bottle of vodka for thirteen euros. Um, it will have to be sold at twenty euros and seventy cents. And if they don't sell it at twenty euros and seventy cents, they'll be breaking the law and they'll be fined accordingly. Um, and so, like the retailers, I understand that you know. Uh, people are under pressure in relation to 
uh, COVID and business and everything else. But the retailers have done exceptionally well. They the are one of the few sectors. Yeah, they're one yes, of the few sectors yes. that that and, exactly. and and we all we saw the uh, the amount of alcohol that was purchased in the off trade during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, well about as, the, as we as we as we report on this, like it's worth two point seven billion euros last year in Ireland. That's a huge amount of money. And a big take, uh, there's a big take goes to the government as well, Ewan, through excise duties. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some amount yeah, goes to depend on, on the product. Very little on beer and cider, but certainly in terms of wine and spirits, there's a, there is a, uh, a return to the exchequer in relation to the excess, excise duties. But again, remember, what, remember how much alcohol harm is costing this wider society, which we're all paying for, by the way, uh, it, it, whether we're paying taxes or not, you know, as a society, we're all paying for these costs. And in, in the last estimate, you know, alcohol harm was costing the country close on nearly 3.6 billion uh, between health costs, social work, social protection costs, uh, education and criminal justice costs. So there's a huge cost to be paid for this. Uh, and you're right. I mean, they obviously the government did make a choice. Um, during COVID to allow the off-licenses and the supermarkets to continue to sell alcohol, despite the fact that they continue to say and understand that alcohol had a a contributing factor in some of the instances in relation to the transmission of, of, of COVID. Okay, Pat, one of our listeners, this is on the minimum unit pricing when it comes in in January. The price won't affect anyone, only those on low income uh, because they won't be able to afford to buy any alcohol at all. Should we not be looking at reducing the strength of alcohol instead to a lower percentage? Would that not be a solution? Yeah, I think there's there's some merit. I mean, we saw in relation to the impact of the sugar tax, for example, on, on soft drinks, that the producers, rather than actually reduce, uh, increase the price of the product, and the price point is really crucial here uh, to the consumer, they, they actually change the formula in their products. And so those products now have less uh, alcohol in them. And I think, you know, we, we do see some, and it's very, very, very small now, but the presence of non-alcoholic beers, for example, um, you know, whilst capturing only about 1% or 2% of the market or a little bit but more. But there's certainly much uh, more of that available. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is more of that available. And that's a good thing. You yeah, know, we should, yeah. should recognise that that's a good thing. And I think, one of the, as I say, one of the, the consequences that perhaps wasn't fully appreciated uh, in the studies and the modelling around minimum unit pricing is the shift that's going to take place on the marketing of the product, as we talked about earlier. So, you know, it will not be tenable for supermarkets any longer to sell slabs of beer. Uh, after the 4th of January, because the price point would be too high. Mm. And so what you'll see is that there'll be increasingly diversification in relation to the packaging of alcohol products. So you'll see more products being packaged as 4, 6 and 8, rather than, you know, 20 and 24, yeah. Exactly. And And so so people will be driven towards purchasing less alcohol but at the same price point. Which again is 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 what you're trying to aim for the less drink exactly. that people... A, and just and finally, the point. The, 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 point yeah. the, the separation of alcohol from other products in the supermarkets, everybody's noticing that. Has, has, that, mm. made, has that made a, a difference? Well, what we've noticed uh, we had a, there was a, a piece of work commissioned by uh, a, a public health uh, master's student in UCC just to do a kind of a pilot study of this in the Munster area as it happened. And they looked at 90 stores 
uh, in May of this year. And at that stage, there was only 58% compliance with actual the, the, the law in relation to the Public Health Alcohol Act uh, as, it, as it applies to the separation of visibility of product. So, again, it just, unfortunately, it does speak to a lack of, a, of a willingness and appreciation on behalf of the retailers, I think, to really uh, move with what is strong public health advice around alcohol. And I think were it to be fully implemented, and I think there will be, you know, there will be uh, improvements over the over the coming months of this year. But if when it is all implemented, coupled with the minimum unit pricing and coupled with the lack of bonus points availability, you know, from purchasing of alcohol, I think these three measures, when they're put in place over a year, maybe of 2022, I think we will see a significant difference. And I remember all the time, much of the work that's involved in this is about trying to shift a generation, about trying to change a whole new set of people to understand that alcohol is not an ordinary commodity. Alcohol is a dangerous substance. It's a psychoactive substance, and it shouldn't really be treated anything other than that. Okay, Ewan, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you, Ewan McKinney there, who is with Alcohol Action Ireland, 1850-333-103. And certainly this time next year, when we get to chat with Ewan on this, because it's an annual survey that they do. It's just the, the price of how much alcohol you can buy. It seems to be getting lower and lower, because I remember doing an interview a few years ago when it got down to a fiver for women could reach their low risk limit. Now it is below a fiver for women and at €7.65 uh, for for men. It'll be interesting though once the minimum unit pricing comes in at the start of uh, January they, we, we, there should be an end of uh, serv- surveys like that or the first survey out should show that it is impossible uh, to reach your minimum unit your, it's your low risk limit you shouldn't be doing it for a very small amount of money and I know that that doesn't sit well with everyone I think Pat's uh, point about it's low income families the people who may like to enjoy maybe a bottle of wine at the weekend a husband and wife sharing a bottle of wine at the weekend suddenly that bo- bottle of wine come the beginning of January is going to increase uh, in price so not everybody happy with it. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text on WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Stargazers will be setting their sights on Jupiter tonight because it will be at its closest point to Earth and at its brightest this week to tell us more David Moore of Astronomy Ireland Good morning to you David Good morning And you're welcome Now I'm told that Jupiter will be in opposition What exactly does that mean? It very simply means it's opposite the sun in the sky So we have the sun the earth and Jupiter all in a straight line and that means because two orbits are roughly circles that Jupiter is at its closest uh, we're going around the sun a bit faster than Jupiter. It takes us one year. Jupiter takes 12 years. So we actually catch up with it every 13 months. Uh, and Jupiter's a little bit closer this time than it normally is. So it's going to look that tiny bit brighter in the sky. But roughly every 13 months, we'll see Jupiter like this. And it is really spectacular. I've been watching over the last few weeks. And because it's at its brightest, I'm assuming then it's it's easier to spot with the naked eye. Yeah. In fact, it's 15 times brighter than the brightest star in the sky. So if you look 
overhead and look for the, the brightest star. In the south, a bit lower down, you'll see this thing that's 15 times brighter than any other star. And it's not a star, it's the, it's the planet Jupiter. Uh, and it's going to be like that for several months, in fact. And it'll be in the evening sky now uh, for people to see uh, from now on. Uh, just with the naked eye, even in, if you're in a town or a city, it's so bright. You know, it's outshining all the stars that you will see it easily. And there's a big event coming up on Saturday when the moon is going to pass near Jupiter. And what do we need to look out for there then on Saturday? Well, uh, I think anybody's walking around, uh, uh, walking the dog, whatever, as soon as it gets dark, the sun will set before uh, 9 o'clock. So by 9, it's going to be dark. The moon will, will rise, a beautiful full moon. And just above it will be this blindingly bright star, Jupiter, 15 times brighter than any other star in the sky. I think it's only, it's only the one night they're at their closest. And anyone who's out just happens to glance at the moon will be wondering, what is that huge object above the moon? The answer is Jupiter. OK, and that's Saturday night that's going to happen. That's Saturday night. And tomorrow night, uh, Friday night, there's actually the planet Saturn is going to be above the moon. So uh, it's about as bright as the brightest stars in the sky, so pretty impressive. Not too far away from Jupiter, so Jupiter sort of steals the show. But both those planets are particularly close to us this month. And you can see all this easily with the naked eye. Anyone's got a telescope would be able to see the rings of Saturn, Jupiter's moons, uh, even its cloud belts. And if you've got a good telescope, it's great red spot. It's uh, been called the amateur's planet because... Amateurs who can afford larger telescopes can see so much detail on Jupiter. Wow. And in our magazine, we often publish pictures taken from Ireland of people who have managed to get really sharp detail on uh, both Jupiter and Saturn. And the moon's dead easy to photograph. And Because the caller wants to know, if you, if you don't have the luxury of a telescope, would binoculars help to get a clearer view? Uh, yes, slightly. Now, remember, it's easy to see with the naked eye, so everyone can see it. If you want a closer view, if you hold your binoculars really steady uh, then, uh, and look at Jupiter, then close in you can see up to four tiny stars. They're actually its moons. A pair of binoculars today that costs about 20 quid is about as powerful as Galileo's first telescope was <laughs> 400 years ago when he uh, looked at Jupiter and saw these little, little stars and he, he mapped them night by night and noticed that they were going around the planet. This is what led him to figure out the Earth's not at the center of the universe because the perceived wisdom at the time was that the Earth was at the centre and everything went around the Earth. Yeah. But here were some star- stars going around Jupiter. Uh, so that sort of made him question that whole thing and led him on to the trouble he got into with the church itself. <laughs> what, uh, what do we know about Jupiter? I mean, I remember in my school days, it's the largest planet in the solar system, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So it's about 11 times wider than the Earth. Uh, so it has the volume of 1,300 Earths. If you made a little plasticine ball of the Earth, you'd have to get 1,300 of them, squash them together to make a ball as big as Whoa. Jupiter. And even though it's that, it's that big, it actually spins faster than any other planet. Uh, we're once in 24 hours, of course. Jupiter, 11 times wider than us, spins every 10 hours. And when you see it in spacecraft pictures and good telescopes, you'll see all the cloud belts are, are parallel bands but because the planet is spinning so fast. And the great red spot has been seen since the first telescopes were powerful enough to see it hundreds of years ago. So it's a huge storm that, unlike, say, our hurricanes only last a few days or weeks, that these these last for centuries, maybe even millennia. So it's a crazy uh, planet in that regard. 
And uh, it looks very nice in the spacecraft pictures. <laughs> and we give talks in schools and other groups around the country. The one thing I love telling the kids is that uh, Jupiter looks lovely in these pictures, but it's surrounded by deadly radiation. So it really is trying to kill any astronauts that go anywhere near it. Even spacecraft have to be radiation protected to, to swoop near it. And we do have one spacecraft currently orbiting Jupiter called Juno, and it sends back incredible pictures. Next issue of our magazine, we're about to put some pictures of the, the big moon, uh, Ganymede, that's been swooping over. Uh, so that's the, the first of uh, the sorry, most recent of many missions. Uh, that have flown past Jupiter. And they're stunning. Uh, yeah, there's, the there's, stu- there's stunning photographs. I, uh, when I mentioned earlier you were going to be joining us on the programme, uh, David, I was talking about astronomy. Has it become a popular hobby during the, during the pandemic with people finding themselves with more time in their hands and many people have taken up hobbies? Is astronomy one of them, do you believe? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, we're going 30 years and the last year our membership has doubled. Doesn't that surprise never me. happened in 30 years. Uh, so uh, I think over a thousand people have joined the society. They're still joining every day, uh, and people are very welcome to do so as well. We have the magazine, Astronomy Island magazine, that tells you what's happening in Irish skies. Uh, we have diagrams of Jupiter next to the Moon and Saturn next to the Moon over the next few days. There's lots of other events happening as well. We had a brilliant meteor shower last week. The Perseids, uh, the International Space Station, will be flying over uh, Ireland again soon. There's loads to see, and the great thing during lockdown was. Most people weren't allowed to travel more than a few kilometres, but every night with the naked eye, binoculars or telescopes, members of Astronomy were travelling trillions of <laughs> kilometres. <laughs> All we wish for now is uh, some clear skies, let the clouds uh, part away uh, for a couple of hours every night. Listen, David, a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that and thanks for And if anybody us. wants to join Astronomy, just go along to astronomy.ie. Okay. Thanks for that. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Good morning. Uh, that is uh, David Moore of Astronomy Ireland. Astronomy.ie. In the next hour, one of the topics we're going to be discussing is operators of bouncy castles and the problems they have getting insurance cover. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Cleona Hagan to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am with Leaders Menswear, North Main Street, long-running supporters of men's clothing and GAA. Leaders Menswear. Irish Sunday on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We've been talking about Cork and the the rebel treble which is now underway for our hurlers. Jim has sent me in a photograph to say that his Limerick neighbours are getting a little bit cocky at the moment and they have already won the 2021 All-Ireland Hurling Final without a ball being even thrown in. And he sends me on a picture from his neighbours in Mwilin who have, I think it's a pallet, is it a pallet turned on its side? They're painted in the green and white of uh, Limerick and it says Limerick 
All-Ireland Champions and it has three dates on it. 2018, we'll give them that one. 2020, yeah, we'll give them that one. They have Sam at the moment. But he's also, the neighbour has put up 2021. Well, as Jim says, without a ball even been thrown in. Well, says our Jim. Cork were written off in 1966, 1986, 1990, 1999. And then he gives us a bit of a history lesson. He says, in 1986, the Galway mayor urged Cork to try and give them a game of it when he duly got his answer. Then in 1990 in the Munster final on the way to the final Babs Keating the Tipperary manager at the time famously said you can't win a derby with donkeys referring to the Cork team. He too got his answer and hopefully says Jim my Limerick neighbour might get his answer to on uh, Sunday. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, Jim, thank you uh, for that. And you can personally go out on after the match on Sunday and remove the 2021 part of a little pot of green paint and you can paint over that little bit of it and then the rest of his poster will be correct. But let's hope that the 2021 is an incorrect piece of information. Then on a more serious note, staying on the match at the weekend, Anne wants to know, uh, says, good morning Patricia, good morning to you Anne. Are the 40,000 who will be going to Croke Park on Sunday, are they going to be tested for COVID-19 beforehand or will they have to show proof of vaccination? Worrying if vaccination vaccinated are mixing with unvaccinated people in such a large crowd of 40,000 people. Plus, as anybody noticed, previous Croke Park crowds, none of them are wearing face masks, says Anne. Well, as far as I know, no view. If you're lucky enough to get an All-Ireland final uh, ticket, I haven't seen any stipulation to say that you must be vaccinated or that you need to have a negative uh, PCR test. As to... They are out, they are in the outside, so I don't know where the wearing of masks uh, come into that. But I absolutely can understand and see your concern and people will be concerned. But I mean, I know even Tony Houlihan only yesterday evening was once again saying to people, uh, remember, if you go somewhere and there's a large crowd and you're not feeling comfortable, it is OK to leave if you don't feel safe. Now, I'm not saying that anybody who's got an All-Ireland ticket, I'd say, will be leaving the match but it's for everyone, it's for personal responsibility, I suppose, for everyone. And then somebody else is saying, Patricia, I can't understand hearing the rising number of COVID deaths and the number of positive cases we're hearing every day seem to be getting higher. Then look what's going on in Northern Ireland. It's frightening with their high number of cases and uh, deaths. Also, we're not hearing what age brackets are testing positive. It's crazy, the high numbers. And with the amount of people that have been vaccinated, God love the families of those who have passed away from COVID. Thank you for taking time uh, to read. And that is signed a loyal listener. Thank you for that. Tony Houlihan was warning yesterday that the incidence of the disease is rising and it's across all of the age groups. They don't give, you're right, they don't give the individual breakdowns, but it is rising across all age groups. The rise in patients in intensive care situations. He says, stark reminder to all of us to continue to adhere to the public health guidance and to ensure that you receive both doses of COVID-19 vaccine as soon as it's offered to you. And then, of course, another mistake that people are making, they get their second jab and they think the minute they've got their second jab, they're safe. They're not. Depends on the vaccine you're getting. You may have to wait seven days. You may have to wait 14 days. So people need to be careful with that as well. Dr. Houlihan said that COVID-19 vaccines, they are ensuring those who are fully vaccinated are protected from the severe illness and poor outcomes related to the disease. We know that the vaccine won't stop you getting it, but if you're unlucky enough to be fully vaccinated and to still get it, what it does is it stops you from getting severe illness and it also then obviously poor outcomes. 
He said for every fully vaccinated confirmed case of COVID-19, we know that the vaccines are preventing about four other cases. He's urged the public, though, to maintain social distancing measures to ensure the risk of the spread of the infection. He's telling us to continue to socialise safely, to risk, uh, risk assess anywhere you go, constantly telling us, and he said it again yesterday, meet outdoors, only meet up with small numbers of people, avoid the crowds. And as I just mentioned, he once again reiterated yesterday, remember, it is okay to leave if you don't feel safe. And that's, you know, we're we're once again still back to uh, personal responsibility. Get your vaccine, get your second vaccine, wait until the period of time where you're then fully vaccinated. That allows you then to do more. But even when you are fully vaccinated, we still have to be careful. And we are hearing of people who are fully vaccinated. And because of this Delta strain, unfortunately, it's. I think if we had the Alpha strain, I don't think we'd be in the same situation. But this Delta strain, unfortunately, is highly contagious. And I can speak from, from some family members of mine up uh, who are living in Derry. They're some relatives of mine. They're an, uh, an elderly couple in there, even though they would never class themselves as our elderly because uh, they're 80, both 84. And uh, the, uh, the, the the lady in this couple had a fall, unfortunately, last week and ended up having to go to hospital. And while she was at hospital, they did, now they're both fully vaccinated, they did a COVID test and she turned out to be COVID positive, even though she didn't have any symptoms. And obviously her husband had to be tested and he ended up being uh, COVID positive. Now they're both obviously at home, fully, iso- fully isolating and uh, they're doing OK. I'm, I'm glad to report they were, felt a little bit run down, a little bit under the weather I think for a day or two certainly across the weekend but I was just their daughter flew back from England to look after them uh, at the weekend and I was just messaging her this morning so they're both up having their breakfast and normal service has resumed even though they're staying indoors and nobody's allowed uh, to call but she said if her mum hadn't had the fall and went into hospital and got COVID tested, they would never have even known that they had uh, COVID-19. And her mum, the lady who had the fall, she has been suffering from a lung uh, disorder. So when we got the news at the weekend that they were both COVID positive, I can tell you as a family, we were all very, very worried and the candles were being lit and the prayers were being said that they'd both make a full uh, recovery. In particular, as I say, the, the mum in question because of her lung issue. But they're both fine. They, they both are absolutely fine. And we were just discussing last night as a family in one of those group texts. We were discussing, thank God for the vaccine and thank God that they're both fully vaccinated. But we still have to be so careful, keep up the social distancing uh, in order to try to reduce the risk of the spread of the infections. The mask wearing is still important. The hand hygiene is still important. And I know people are sick to the teeth of it. But it's it's just the way it is. And for how long more? I don't know how long is a piece of string. I really just don't know how long more we're going to be wearing masks. And I know people are sick of the masks and people are fed up with the masks. But we have no other choice but to stick with it. We've got to keep going. We've got to press on until we get to herd, herd immunity. And then, of course, we're not all safe until everybody is uh, safe. We need to get vaccines out to poorer countries. We need to get countries that have huge vaccine hesitancy, you know, the powers that be in those countries need to work on that. Thankfully, in this country, while there is 
some vaccine hesitancy. It's a very, very low figure indeed. We are, again, the poster boys of Europe for the right reason because of the amount of people stepping up to the plate and realising how important it is to get vaccine, to get vaccinated and then to get fully vaccinated. It is just so, so important. But even then, we still can't leave our guards down. 1850 Scam alert. Thank you to Stephanie for that. For this, Stephanie says, hi, just got a landline phone call saying that I had been charged £79.99 pence sterling for Amazon Prime and to cancel I needed to push one. I did push one, says Stephanie, and a lad asked me to download the cancellation form via Google and to do it onto my laptop. It sounded like it was coming from an Indian call centre. I stopped right there because that form for sure will ask you for your bank account details, etc. I then checked the Amazon website. Any Prime you would get for free at first and any cancellation could be done via their website. Uh, Greetings, uh, says uh, Stephanie, uh, who interestingly got that to her landline. So that I was checking with with John Paul because having been off for the last two weeks, I was trying to get up to date on because we get so many calls about various texts and various scams. I was saying, is that a new one, the Amazon Prime one? And John Paul said, yeah, it's been around for the last couple of weeks and we've had a number of calls about it. And John Paul made a good point for anyone who, who does have an Amazon account or anybody who deals with Amazon. Amazon will never call you. If Amazon want to contact you, they'll do it through email or they'll do it through the app. And you write because I, I regularly opt in and out of Amazon Prime when I need to get uh, something delivered from the UK that I can't purchase here in Ireland. And with Amazon Prime, yeah, you do everything through the to the app or you'll do it online. But yeah, you don't you don't call them. So be aware of that. That's doing the rounds. And then can I say, the other day when we were talking on Monday, we were talking about different scams and different phone calls that people were getting and the annoying phone calls. And I made the point that I, for whatever reason, don't seem to get many of those scam calls. But I did make the point that my number had been, my actual physical number had been used in what's called spoofing in that my number was showing up on other people's phones as a scam, as if I was calling them. And of course, I wasn't. They were just using my number. That's what was calling up, coming up on the caller ID. And it's called uh, spoofing. And I mentioned that on Monday. And then I jokingly said, uh, I, I probably now will uh, end up jinxing it and I'll end up getting a flood of these calls. Well, would you believe yesterday I started to get calls. The first came from Leeds in England. Don't know anyone in Leeds in England. So I did the usual. I said I won't answer it. If there's somebody from Leeds in England is trying to contact me, they'll leave a message. Needless to say, no message was left. So I blocked that number straight away. That then was followed yesterday afternoon by a call from Ardrossan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's in Scotland. And I have a smartphone, so it comes up exactly where the call has been generated from. Again, I don't know anyone in Ardrossan in Scotland. So I left that number ring out. Within two minutes, there was another call different number but again from our Drossen in Scotland I again ignored that and then about an hour later my phone rings again and this time it is from Newton Abbott, Abbott in England was what it said on it and again don't know anyone calling me from Newton Newton Abbott in England 
and again nobody left a message so I've, I've blocked all the numbers but literally four of them arrived in very very quick succession so maybe I have jinxed it uh, slightly so just be careful and be aware and take the advice of certainly what I do just don't answer uh, because if it is somebody trying to get through to you and I have missed calls because of it I have ended up having to go into my voicemail and pick up a message from somebody who says hi trying to call you there it's a genuine person but then I was able to call them back 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs A preschool assistant is required that's for the Bwing area while a childminder is required in the Drumahan Mallow area and a private healthcare assistant wanted that's in the Ballinhasic in a Shannon area and St Vincent de Paul's in Fomoy they are looking for a shop manager for any details on any of those jobs or more job opportunities, can you please go online now? You can go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Many parents planning on hiring a bouncy castle for their child's party are being advised that they will be doing so at their own risk because operators are having difficulty getting quotes for public liability insurance. To discuss what is going on, I'm joined by Gerry Frawley, who is with the Irish Inflatable Hirers Federation. Good morning to you, Gerry. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Just to get the background to this, your industry started to face insurance problems back in 2019. At that stage, it was a UK-based insurance company pulled out of Ireland. Can you just remind us what happened and why they just, why they pulled out in 2019? Well, why they pulled out, I'm not exactly sure, but they pulled out because they found the uh, the situation here. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't good for them. They, they just pulled out. They didn't really give an excuse. Like a lot of insurers in the leisure centre, in the leisure business in Ireland, uh, they have pulled out. We then had another insurer come on board, but they pulled out after one year. But you've never had a lot of competition, have you, that you can shop around for a good insurance quote? Absolutely not. Uh, they're like hen's teeth. They're, they're hard to find. And, and at the moment, they're impossible to find. And is it true uh, any of the companies in the past who've offered insurance, they've all been overseas? Do, it, it, are Irish companies hesitant to get involved in this business? Yeah. Well, Irish brokers have got involved. But uh, underwriters, uh, definitely, we, we have to go to London uh, to Lloyds of London-based uh, insurers and underwriters. That's where they're based generally for the ledger industry here. Is Brexit having an effect? I don't think... Some people have quoted Brexit as being the problem. I do not believe that's the problem. I think they've got over that and they can deal fine with it here. But some of the problems, uh, there are a reluctance on behalf of insurers and yet they operate quite well in the UK and, the, and in Northern Ireland. But in the Republic, because of our court system, our compensation system. But there's another factor also, Patricia, that affects us badly. And that is the lack of regulation uh, on our industry here in the Republic. Uh, we've been dealing with, trying to deal with the government for seven years now. We've put forward to them exactly what steps they made to take and they've entirely ignored us over the time over the last while. So you're saying there's no regulations governing this industry at the moment? Yes there is. There's uh, European safety standards and they're 
what's called best practice. Yeah. And we would like the government to take some action, as they've done in the UK, and the HSE have taken it over over there with PIPA. And they've put an inspection regime in place. We have also got a voluntary inspection scheme here, but we need to have that more uh, official involvement. Yeah, yeah. And that obviously then would make it safer for all of the operators that are out there. And if it's 100%. safer, there's going to be less accidents. And if there's less accidents, there's less claims. It'll give the under underwriting comfort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know the government have been really busy with COVID and everything, but we've we've laid out plans uh, for them. They just take need to take very action to do something. We've written many papers to them and had lots of meetings and miles of correspondence, but they still let us down in this area. And are some of your members, some of the operators, uh, Jerry, attempting to operate without public liability insurance? And what problems and dangers does that present for the owner? Well, yeah, it's always a risk. And the vast majority of operators of inflatables do not want to operate without uh, insurance. They have, like, livelihoods, they have mortgages, bills to pay, vans to pay, uh, the initial investment on their equipment uh, they have to pay back. So they're a bit between, stuck between a rock and a hard place and their business is coming in. And some of them are, you know, they're, they're doing it without insurance because that's the financial situation they're in. And, and can, as I mentioned at the in my introduction, can you get parents to sign something saying you're doing, your children are going to go on this bouncy castle and if they bounce off and break an ankle or break a wrist or whatever, that they're doing it at their own risk. Are you covered if you get somebody to sign that? Uh, you are and you aren't. You aren't. It's kind of up in the air uh, with that one. We explain to all our customers here in Bounce Ireland that we believe that all play has risks. All play. When you were playing as a child, when I was playing, we could hurt ourselves. That's natural. And you need uh, risk for development of children. Uh, what we want to do is minimise the risks in that area by complying with European standards. And yes, uh, children could get injured and they could claim from the Bouncing Tesla operator indeed, yes. Okay, yeah. And then there's also, and I know you've concerns around this, that the necessary safety checks uh, they're, that they're maybe not being performed uh, by some of the inflatable com- companies, the ones that they would have to do in order to get their insurance. That is correct, Patricia. The, the vast majority, even if they're operating without insurance, are totally irresponsible. And they're still going and having their equipment checked on a yearly basis and having safety tests done to them. And they are also... Uh, applying the standard in their work methods and how they go about their business. And this is really important. So the vast majority, but they are competing against people who set up on an ad basis and have three or four bouncing patterns and don't care about the standard. Mm. And it's an uneven uh, area uh, for competition and it's not good. Jerry, there has been so much talk in the last few years about insurance reform. But listening to you this morning, it doesn't look like your industry is seeing any kind of insurance reform. Well, there have been some steps taken by the government, which apparently will help. And Peter Bowling from the Insurance Alliance will tell you that that hasn't really trickled down to have the desired effect as of yet. And they need to take much more action. So 
we have a large industry with thousands of people employed, uh, providing a very good service to children. And remember, basic classes are a very healthy way of children to have great activity, physical activity, which is badly needed for them. And they're, they're needed by government inaction, and that has caused this crisis. Government inaction is directly responsible for the crisis that our industry is in at the moment. And I take it during the pandemic and lockdowns, etc., your business must have been decimated, was it? Uh, completely decimated. And we didn't need an insurance crisis on top of that either, uh, Patricia. No, it was entirely decimated. And, but people took up and done what they could and waited it out, like everyone else in society. But is it starting to come back now? Yeah, we put a very detailed plan, a COVID plan in action. And most of the operators followed that uh, Follow that all the way, and they disinfect their castle. They make sure they're adding to the risk of uh, the pandemic, and that is that's fantastic. That's worked out well. We've put out a very detailed plan, which people follow as a, as a as an industry. But the insurance on top of that is really not helpful at all. And we know the government has been very busy dealing with COVID as best they can, but all they need to do is take very, very small actions to try and help us out of this crisis. Any insurance uh, underwriters that we've had discussions with immediately ask, what about regulation from the government? And we always come back with the government done nothing so far. Yeah, that's frustrating when there are when there are some solutions. Sarah, one of our listeners, is is making a point. What is it about today's uh, parents when uh, their child Johnny or Mary falls? Why is the what's the first thing they do? They seem to rush to the to the courts. Why have we become such a litigious uh, society? Um, and thank you for that, Sarah. And actually, that's something that I've often mentioned on this program, uh, Jerry. It, I I can sense Sarah's frustration. I mean, when when we were children, if somebody fell in the playground or you know. Somebody, I mean, you know, I, I remember, I clearly remember being in primary school and a young girl fell during where we were playing hockey and uh, broke her arm and she ended up in Plaster of Paris and it became like a badge of honour and we all couldn't yeah. wait to sign yeah. it. Yeah. And she was like the little hero inside the classroom. But nobody rushed to the courts to sue the nuns. No, it's changed completely, Patricia. Unfortunately, it's changed. We have become a very litigious society, you know. But it, it was our intention, and we spell it out clearly in our terms and conditions, and like I said, that also has risks. And when you introduce a bouncy castle, you do increase the risk associated with more robust play that's associated with inflatables. But our job as operators and responsible operators is to reduce that risk as much as possible by complying with the EU standards of safety. Janet, one of our listeners, says, I'm hiring and getting a bouncy castle next week. How do I know if they have insurance? I asked them. Yeah. And, and, and also you should ask, have they got safety certificates for their equipment? I think that's really important. Safety certificates and ask them about the insurance. And if this doesn't get sorted, uh, Jerry, could we end up seeing an end to your sector? No, I don't think there will ever be an end. I'll tell you what's been very badly affected public events. Public events can't go ahead without insurance. School events can't go ahead without insurance. Fairground inflatables cannot go ahead without insurance. And uh, generally, we, we're depriving children of wonderful activity and fun uh, because of this crisis. 
So the the back garden ones, the the people in their private homes, I think it's such a such a great activity for children that they will go ahead and hire them regardless of whether they're children or not. But it's the bigger events that we may that, yeah, that may suffer long term, which will be a bit you're right, it would be a it would be a real, real shame. All right, listen yeah, you know the field day, Patricia. And yeah, it's yeah. Great. The bounce passes are up and everything. And unfortunately, that's not happening at the moment. And that's terrible. And there isn't an adult amongst us that don't, doesn't like to go up in an old bouncy castle every now and again. Uh, you're not allowed. <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, of course I'm not allowed. Okay. All right, listen, uh, Jerry, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And, and I do hope that uh, there is a solution found uh, to this because you bring many, many hours and hours of fun uh, for children. And, and as you say, you, your, your members operate all over the country. Listen, good luck with it. And thanks for joining me on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Okay. That is uh, Jerry Frawley, who is with the Irish Inflatable Hirers. Federation, which I have to say when I came across uh, Jerry, that was a new federation that, that I wasn't aware of and they cover all of the bouncy castles. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103 and an amount of people saying, Patricia, those Amazon calls are everywhere. Somebody said I had four of those Amazon calls yesterday on my landline. The Amazon one seems to be affecting people's landlines. I simply just hung up immediately. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Going to Formoy Garda Station for this week's Garda Fireworm, joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And we start with a piece that you mentioned last week, and this was to do with the theft of catalytic converters. Tell me what happened. Yeah, just to give you uh, what subsequently happened, uh, that night there was a... Uh, Another tree uh, taken from Yaris is down in Yall. Uh, there was one taken in Dungarvan. There was one taken in Formoy the same night. Now, that blue Skoda, Octavia, that we had given out was seen in the area. Um, so, subsequent to that, that car was recovered on the, there on the 17th. That was early Tuesday morning above an Innes Diamond. So, I'm just giving it as an idea of the, <clears throat> the range that this gang has covered. You know, the, that they can be in operating in Waterford, Cork, Limerick, and the car then turning up, turning up in Clare. But also, uh, as well, the fact that in, in the all case, the, 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 as I said, three cars over a short period of time, um, it, it appears that the scouting is done in advance. They know exactly. They're not coming at random and scouting around trying to find um, those cars that they already, uh, you know, I believe that they already know uh, when they're coming down where they have jobs lined up to do, you know. Yeah, they're not so, driving around <clears throat> looking for the cars on the night. They already I have them. So. Yeah, they've already done yeah. their homework and they know where those cars are likely to be parked. Yes. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'd appeal to people, look, if they see, the, you, you, you know, they think their car has been scouted, if they see somebody just kind of, uh, you know, paying attention or taking the number or whatever, you know, just, you know, that they might see the scout car. You know, yeah, maybe yeah. a day or two in advance. You know, but uh, as I say, this this would appear to be um, what is happening. You know, it's, a, it's an organised gang uh, for sure that can turn very, up anywhere in the country. Very, very organised, and obviously we have the problem then that if uh, you know so if there has been uh, some stuff recovered, 
there in the recent past, but again, connecting it to the vehicles from which it has been stolen is kind of almost an impossibility. Uh, I know. No? It's a huge cost to the owner to have the catalytic converter replaced. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible crime. It could be a total write-off when you're could talking about a zero, well, zero carry, well. you know, because you're talking maybe 650 to to replace a catalytic converter, 700, you know, more than probably the cost of the car, you know, um, and it's, it's something, it's a horrible thing to happen, you know. Yeah, it's dreadful. Now, you're putting a shout-out for to keep an eye out for another car. Uh, yeah, I'm putting a shout out there for another car, black Audi A4. What um, this car was seen there, this now I would say the centre hubcap, the small little centre hubcap, is missing from the front right wheel. And just to give the circumstances, um, this was last Sunday at about uh, between uh, the owners left their house in Kentork. They left their house at uh, about five past one in the afternoon, twenty past one. Exactly 15 minutes later, uh, they got a text that their alarm had activated. A neighbour was at the scene as well. And when they came back, they found the black car outside, uh, revving, um, immediately outside the car, revving and uh, blowing the horn. You know, when they approached from behind, they didn't know at first who it was, but uh, it took off in a speed. They don't know what the direction of travel, but luckily enough, the alarm paid for itself. You know, so they were immediately back to the house. Um, but as I say, 15 minutes, say, after they left the house, the activation occurred, you know. So okay. this is, again, is a black Audi A4. I feel quite sure it uh, last Sunday it would have probably been doing reconnaissance on other houses, maybe. And uh, again, it might turn up as uh, on other, other burglaries because they tend to use a car maybe for a week or two weeks, work it hard. And and uh, next thing, suddenly it uh, it's found burned out or something that you know that oftentimes is the way it happens. And are so they still I, using false number plates? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we believe it was a clone plate. Who you know was on this car. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I just ask people. Black Audi A4 again, just to emphasise, centre hubcap was missing from the front right. That will make it stand you know. out. Yeah, yeah. The fellas involved, uh, one of them was wearing a grey hoodie inside and would have covered his face with the hoodie to, uh, so that he, w- so that he wasn't seen, you know? Okay, somebody might have it on, on dash cam, uh, footage, keep, uh, but in the meantime, keep, keep a look out for those guys. Now, scam, scam calls. We're getting a, a flood this morning for, of the Amazon calls that are doing the rounds. And interestingly, they're going to people's landlines, asking them to engage, uh, with somebody. So you need to be careful of that. You've got one from Air. Uh, yes, purporting to be from air. Again, it came in on a landline. Huh. Now, the injured party in this case, they were kept on the phone literally for approximately two hours to the person claiming to be working for air. Unfortunately, they disclosed bank account details and driving license details. Um, but there was some money taken from the account uh, without their permission. So, you know, we'd appeal to people terminate those calls straight away. Again, the other calls are still happening. The ones where I said the prefix and the first four numbers are exactly identical to your own number. Yeah. Um, so those ones are still happening. Uh, there's other ones happening as well where people are going into the bank there after discovering activity on their account. Um, but please be aware, check your bank account, uh, I, I suppose, on a fairly frequent basis as well, just to make sure. Um, but again, don't engage with any text calls or, or anything like that. We saw another call now where a person engaged with the text call, uh, with the text and um, inputted their account details. So again, there was a, an amount taken from from their account, you know. Yeah. So, um, and if you answer, I mean, I I keep saying to people, you know, do what I do. I don't answer any number that I don't know, and then if the person wants me, they'll leave a message. But if you do answer, um, just get off the phone straight away. 
get off the phone straight away, yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of times they will hang up if you answer, or indeed you could get the recording. Yeah. Right. If you listen to the recording, you you know it's that thing you've committed an offence and all that. Just and just, and asking you to yeah. press one and, and yeah, all of that. Yeah. 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 But just hang up straight it's away. Just, it's all rubbish. But there's just yeah. so many of them, John. They're they're flooding in. They're flooding in. Yeah. I mean, there's no account. I don't. There's probably most days I get one, at least one myself was with a friend this morning when they got one on their phone as well. You know, again the exact same, only three digits removed from their own number. Yeah, that seems to be, that's new. Uh, we've had a couple of listeners now contacting us and we're nervous about the fact that the number looked like their own number. But that's kind of a new, new yeah, element to the, it. The last six weeks, I've seen it in particular. Yeah, Hadn't it's a new one. Before. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's just something is going on now. But just, um, to, just to say to people, because people get nervous about it, you're not being targeted your, your, yourself. These are scam artists. It's computer generated, all of these numbers. They don't know from Adam who you are or where, no, where you even no, are in the world no, or in the country. No, no. Don't take a person as yeah. like a fellow sitting, uh, sitting on the Blackwater bank, you know, casting, you know, waiting for a bite, you know. Yeah, that's all it is. Um, that's all it that's, is. That's all it is. But it has become more frequent and I'm pretty sure in the future it'll be what we'll be dealing with more and more and, and just for people to get their head around it and just don't don't engage. Don't know? engage because if we cut off their their source of money they will eventually uh, go Correct. away. Now Correct. you have a report of alcohol that was stolen. Yeah we, we've got reports I suppose from, from quite an, from a number of places Um I suppose one uh, theft in particular was it was a kind of a four figure amount um, that was taken middle of the day very, very professional gang, uh, non-national travelling criminals operating uh, headquartered in Dublin, but as they operate nationwide. Um, now, in this particular case, they would enter the supermarket in, say, ones and twos. They tend to go for names that are well-known, household names, you know, the Jemisons, the Hennessys, you know, big names like that, um, and high-value marks of champagne as well. Um, they kind of bring them to various points in the supermarket. They drop it maybe behind fridges where they don't see uh, cameras. And uh, somebody else comes in then with file line bags and they keep in and out of the car with it. And they may then go to the uh, to the supermarket checkout and pay for a small couple of things because they will have seen that they will have been noticed in the supermarket, you know. But in this particular case, uh, they would definitely have needed to make a number of trips in and out of, of, of the supermarket. But thankfully, their number uh, of the car they were using was retrieved, um, following on from which uh, Detective Branch in Dublin, in a part of Dublin, searched uh, the house and uh, substantial amounts of alcohol were recovered. Um, a couple of people are charged to courts in Dublin. Uh, for specifically for the theft in Cove, but there are other thefts that they have been caught for as well uh, around the country. God, they're, um, they're a well-organised group, aren't they? A very, very well-organised group. You know, they're a, they're a professional crime gang, uh, organised crime gang and OCG, uh, and as I said, this is how they're uh, this is how they are doing it, you know. Okay. But we see this type of theft that comes back maybe once every 12 months, um, but for people, retailers, just to keep an eye out for it, they, do, they tend not to go for the, the, the own brand labels. They know what to go for because it, because they it holds value. Yeah, yeah they, and they have expensive, expensive taste. taste. But again, I don't, I don't believe it's something they're tasting themselves. Yeah, they're selling uh, it know, on. They're selling it on. Okay, this, and on, then yeah. for the time of the year that's uh, in it, uh, young people heading back to college or heading off to college for the first time, be careful yes. when you're renting, renting properties. 
be very, very careful, you know. Uh, like, I mean, the thing about it is, I think there was something like uh, 503 cases of rental scams reported to the, to the guards between the 1st of February 2019 31st of May 2021. Um, they've obviously been declining last 18 months with COVID restrictions being the likely cause of the decline. You know, now most of the incidents are happening in Dublin, but they are happening around the country. And I think we estimate something like 900,000 were stolen and rental scams, you know, over this period. Now, I think this year you're going to have, uh, I, I suppose, students last year didn't have the full third level experience. They were probably mm-hmm. doing a lot from home. Mm-hmm. Well, whereas it's likely classes will be resuming, say, this year. So, yeah, you know, it could present an opportunity for, for criminals. Um, so we'd say to people, look, they should only use recognised letting agencies. Deal with people who are born of fee they entrusted. You know, websites can be cloned and they need to check the URL to ensure it's a real website and take note of the, the privacy and the refund policy sections. And be very wary of social media adverts or where a person letting their location will only communicate via messenger or WhatsApp. You know, you need to look for direct answers and if responses are vague, you know, disengage. Don't, you know. And physically go and see the property and go inside the property and check it Absolutely. out. Absolutely. And ensure that the person has a key for the property. Yeah. You know, and don't be put off, you know, uh, view the property. Go on recommendations, you know, talk to other students, say, from your local locality who have been in third level, say, in Limerick or Cork in the last few years, and where did they do, and would they have any landlord's addresses, you know, who, there would be some, shall we say, trusted traders that are already out there, you know? That's good advice. And, and to make sure as well, you know, that if they've decided to take up the offer, only use trusted money transfer systems, you know. I would recommend using a credit card, never transfer money direct or pay cash or pay into cryptocurrency wallets, you know. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, just be careful. Okay. Final, final, final word, Patricia. Yeah. Go string. Go string. They're There's back. Some scam artists. They're back. They're oh, back. God. So I'd appeal to people, look, keep an eye on their, on their neighbours or elderly friends um, and just don't engage. They could be doing power washing. They could be doing anything. Just don't engage them. Clear them. Get, get, just get rid of them straight away. Okay, good yeah. advice as always, uh, John. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks Thank for joining you. us. And we remind you that if you do need your gutters uh, cleaned out, and many people like to do that before maybe we head into the winter, go with somebody locally. Find out somebody locally. Take a recommendation from somebody who had, this, you know, who, who maybe has used a gutter company. But we've got really good tradesmen in our area. And I know they're very busy at the moment. But that's what I would suggest you do is always go local. And, you know, the, I think the best one ever for any trade person coming into the house is to get a recommendation from somebody who's used somebody before and somebody who can stand over at their work. 1850 333 Hi Patricia says uh, Michael I've got a flood of scam, scam calls mostly coming from 086 numbers about 15 of them last week and yes exactly what Sergeant John Kelly was saying similar to my number and I know of others that the very same thing has happened this seems to be just a new twist that they've started uh, to do also get a lot of foreign numbers scam calls it's so frustrating says Michael it is it is if your phone is constantly ringing it is so so frustrating okay we need to take a break we have news at, 11, uh, news at 12 on the way it is Thursday so Jane Pickett our resident vet will be joining us if you've got a pet question for Jane you can get it in 1850 333 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice 
you know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Still a little bit good news about the programme uh, today. I'm told that uh, we have been nom- uh, that C103 has been nominated for the Cork Chamber Digital Marketing Awards for 2021 in the Content Creation category and we've been nominated for the special programme that we broadcast last November. Do you remember when I was 30 years on air we did a special programme uh, here where we were of course celebrating 30 years of uh, a local radio and me sitting in the same seat for 30 years. So that particular programme was entered and we've been nominated so that's uh, terrific. Thank you to everybody involved in Cork uh, Chamber Digital Marketing Awards just to get nominated is, is a huge buzz. Thank you for that. And another good news story for people in the North Cork area a new public service obligation route will operate between Cork and Dublin now it's going to serve Formoy Mitchellstown and then on into Tipperary it'll also serve Care and Cashel. The route is the 245X it'll offer four services per day between Cork and Dublin and it'll initially we're told be operated by Bus Aaron but it's been supported by funding from the NTA and that certainly is good news because we regularly hear from people in Formoy and Mitchellstown that they just don't have uh, a regular enough bus service so that certainly is good news with four services per day between Cork and Dublin but it will serve for my Mitchellstown Care and Cashel so glad to bring that news to you can I just stay on vaccines and people will see this is a good news story there's walk-in vaccination clinics are going to operate over the next three days in Cork City. Now, it's for people who are getting their first vaccine, but it's also for the first time the walking clinics are for people who are waiting on their second vaccination. They will be open to those who are awaiting a second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. So if you got your first Pfizer and you are, in order to get the second Pfizer, you'll be offered it if you got your first dose at least 21 days ago. Most people have to wait a month, four weeks for the Pfizer, second Pfizer jab. But if you got your Pfizer jab at least 21 days ago and you're waiting on an appointment for your second one, you're one of the people that can go forward to the walk-in clinic. And for everybody else for a first dose, it's anybody over the age of 16 who hasn't had a first dose of a vaccine. And the walk-in clinics will operate Tomorrow, Friday, Porky Cueve between 9am in the morning and uh, 2pm. On Saturday, it'll be in City Hall between 1 and 4. And again, on Sunday in City Hall between 11am and 2pm. That's vaccination clinics. And remember, if you're going along for your second jab of Pfizer to bring your vaccination card with you. And as always, when you're going for any of your, you need to bring photographic uh, ID uh, with you as well. Uh, but they're, they're walking clinics. But the slight change on that is they're going to be administering second vaccines as well. And I'm open to correction, but I don't think that that has been done uh, before. And just let me stay on vaccines for a moment because there was an interesting call in earlier today from Pat and from Moy and my apologies Pat that I didn't get around to you until now but I'm wondering are others feeling the same way as Pat and this is to do with people who have been vaccinated versus those who haven't been vaccinated. Now we know in this country we have one of the highest levels of interest in vaccine. People there was an early stage when we were waiting to get our vaccines where people would have gone over hot coals, people would have travelled miles and people did travel miles in order to get vaccinated 
because we have really taken on board vaccinations and how important vaccinations are both for ourselves to protect ourselves and to protect our loved ones and to protect the vulnerable in our community so we don't have a lot of vaccination hesitancy there's a little bit of it but there isn't certainly as much as there is in other countries so that's got Pat in for Moy thinking and he wants to raise this throw it out there and see what others think the people who've decided the unvaccinated. Now, not the people. There are a very, very tiny proportion of people who, for medical reasons, can't get vaccinated. That's not who Pat is talking about. He's talking about the people who consciously make the decision for whatever reason, and they're entitled to do it. We've never in this country gone down that route of forcing anyone to get a, a, a vaccine. So it's for the people who've made their own choice not to get uh, vaccina- vaccinated. Pat wants to talk about those people and those of the unvaccinated who end up in hospital. And we know there are a number of them in hospital at the moment and we also know there are a number of them in who are in ICU beds. People who would have been offered a vaccine but decided themselves they didn't want a vaccine they ended up getting particularly the Delta variant which we know is so contagious and they've ended up now in hospital taking up what Pat says, taking up an ICU bed. And Pat has said they're taking up beds that could be used, for example, for cancer patients, people who are waiting on operations, but an ICU bed needs to be available for them. Pat feels that we need to isolate the unvaccinated people from the vaccinated people. He said people are all on about their rights and their rights not to get vaccinated if they don't want to get vaccinated. Well, Pat says bugger that. He thinks it's gone way too serious. We have a situation that's going to get out of control unless we do something about it, particularly he worries about clogging up our hospital system. Now, we we have... Uh, numbers rising in hospital not a huge number rising in hospital we're certainly not back to where we were in January or February but it is still a worry and I know whenever we hear Tony Houlihan or Paul Reid or Stephen Donnelly anyone from the Department of Health talk they are worried about an increase in people going into hospital and one of the knock-ons of course Pat is right will be that other operations and other treatments have to get put on hold because people are in hospital and if they're unvaccinated, they can be in hospital longer because certainly anyone who, who gets, and we know, we discussed it earlier, you can still get COVID-19 while having been vaccinated. But the chances are much lesser that you'll end up in hospital. And if you do end up in the hospital, you're not as sick and you don't need to spend as long in hospital, which is very different to the unvaccinated. So Pat reckons, do we need to open up that debate? And do we need to say, OK, if somebody's unvaccinated and they're doing it, it's their right not to be unvaccinated. Is there a knock on to that then when they need hospital care and hospital attention? His point is, why should they clog up the hospital system for, for the people against the people who were vaccinated? So your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850 There's goats. We've had reports hit about this goats straying around the city particularly around the St Luke's area of the city centre it was earlier this morning I saw some people on social media had done little film footage of the goats rambling around I've just been told that the owner has been made aware that the goats broke out and uh, the owner was coming to collect the goats so we're assuming that situation with the goats has by now been sorted out because if a goat gets into your garden, believe me, they can do an amount of uh, damage for sure. And then we had a listener. Oh, this is Michael who had contacted me earlier when we were talking about scam calls. And he was the guy saying when he was listening to Sergeant John Kelly talk about getting a number of scam calls to his mobile phone 
and the numbers were looking very similar to his own telephone number and for some reason there seems to be a new twist on the scam and lots of people are reporting that and Michael was saying it happened to him last week he had 15 of them last week alone and he was also getting a number of foreign numbers and he said so I read out his text and he said just as I was reading out his text lo and behold his landline rang and he picks it up and says good morning how are you doing and it was somebody from Amazon but he says in this particular case he says it was a lovely sounding lady with an Irish accent now he said it was automated and very obviously automated but he said the fact that an Irish voice was being used it sounded all the more realistic now he straight away knew that it was nothing to do with him why he doesn't have an Amazon account but he said just to make people aware because somebody earlier said that they had got the Amazon call and it was from a voice that sounded like it was coming from an Indian call centre but there's a new one now and definitely an Irish sounding lady very pleasant very polite automated message telling Michael there was something wrong with his Amazon account but if Michael had been able to speak to that lady on the automated service he would be able to tell her well there can't be anything wrong with my Amazon account because guess what I don't have an Amazon account 1850 and then someone says please please don't call out my name but I'm very very annoyed we are losing our priest in Churchtown Liscarroll there is a big increase in population in both parishes of Churchtown and Liscarroll we also have two nursing homes in Churchtown plus we have a retirement village Churchtown Liscarroll Bottevant Lisgriffin and Ballyclaw Kilbrain will now have to be run by two priests, namely Father Eugene, the wonderful Father Eugene uh, Baker and also Father Michael Leader. This is a listener who is very, very upset about it. And you may have seen this. It's in all of the papers uh, today. The Bishop of Cloyne, William Crean, has this week announced details of a number of clerical uh, new appointments to parishes across the diocese. But he has also announced a number of clerical Retirements. These are elderly priests. Many of them have stayed on way past what should have been their retirement. So while I feel for this listener who's upset thinking, you know, and I feel for the two priests who've got to take on all of the extra duties, I also have huge sympathy for all of the bishops of all of the dioceses all over the country who are trying to balance and work out which priests are going to work out of which parish, which priest is going to say which mass, who are they going to put into that parish, can they put that parish in with the other parish because they simply don't have enough priests. So, you know, while I accept that listeners, you know, a listener... This particular listener is upset that they're losing their parish priest because he's moving on to another another parish instead. It's it's you know, it's it isn't that this this particular parish has been targeted. It's just the bishop trying to do the best that he can with a very small number of priests. And actually on Monday I was reading a very interesting interview that was given by the Arch, Archbishop Dermot Farrell, Archbishop Dermot Farrell, he was appointed to what is the largest Catholic diocese in Ireland. He's the Bishop of uh, Dublin. And he was doing, it was just appointed earlier this year, but he was giving an interview, you know, talking about what the church is like at the moment and, you know, what he has to do as Bishop of Dublin. And he made the point in the interview that the current model of church in Ireland is simply unsustainable. And he cited the reason. He said it's due to the ageing clergy very few vocations and he also said there's a major decline in the number of people who actively practice and live out their faith. So, you know, he's in Dublin struggling 
to find enough priests to put into all of the various parishes and he like all of the bishops all over the countries is in the very same situation so I would be very slow to criticise Bishop William Crane because he's doing the best that he can and yet on the other hand I do have sympathy for areas that are losing a priest and this happens all the time when they do the new appointments to parishes and generally speaking beforehand when we had much more vocations in this country and we'd much more priests it was just every couple of years every few years priests got got moved around and there was always an element of sadness attached to that as well because priests built up they built up relationship with their parishioners parishioners come to know and love their priests and there's been many many going away dues over the years where people were openly in tears at the idea of their priests be moved to a different uh, parish but that's the way the church has always operated but I think when suddenly a, a diocese or a parish is left without a priest or is sharing a priest it, it isn't anything personally against that particular parish it just literally is the bishop doesn't have enough uh, priests and when Bishop William Crane was making his announcement this week uh, about the appointments to parishes he did announce that there was a number of Uh, retiring uh, clergy. They included the very Reverend Dennis Kelleher, PP in Ahada, and the very Reverend Patrick Scanlon, who is the PP of Castletown Roach. And both of those will be retiring from on September the 11th. And there are two priests straight away gone out of the parish, uh, gone out of the diocese. And unfortunately, there isn't any vocations to replace them. So the priests that are there have to pick up the workload, which is tough on the priests, I have to say. 1850-333-103, John Paul taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions, please, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us after half past 12 today. So if you've got a pet question, you can get those in or you can text our WhatsApp to 862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do. Right across this week, Mitchellstown Library are hosting a fun window expo. It's of town culture and family uh, history and it runs right up to and including Saturday. This week's Home Bingo books are on sale for the Kildallery Community Development Association. They're available from all of the usual outlets. Every week you're in with a chance to win one of five full houses of €50 and also a snowball prize which stands at €550 for this week. Next Saturday, August 21st, Seamus Fox of Irish Family Search will lead a walking tour of Mitchellstown. It features cultural sites, folklore and family history. It'll run between 11am and 1.30pm and the starting point is Clongibbon House Hotel, the New Square. And historical events taking place in McComb, so part of Heritage Week. You're asked to meet at the former Church of Ireland on Castle Street in McCroom next Sunday for events between 2 and 4.30. Now, pre-booking for the McCroom Heritage Week it is required at 086 87898981. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, a marine wildlife expert has poured cold water on plans to provide Wally the Walrus with a floating couch or a disused rib, warning that such a move could create a circus around this Arctic visit- visitor. The Irish whale and... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Dolphins Group's sighting officer is Podrick Welly, and Podrick joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Podrick. Hi there. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, you don't like the fact that this walrus has been named. Do we need to stop treating it like a pet? Well, well, we never really name, you know, wild animals like we, we coordinate, like, say, for instance, a humpback whale catalogue. And many of these humpback whales come from West Cork. And, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of like to give them numbers. It puts a little bit of distance between you and the animals, you know. And, uh, you know, scientifically, it's easier if you deal with numbers rather than giving animals kind of pet names. Uh, you know, there, there's the problem is in a lot of cases, you don't actually know what gender these animals are so well. You know, but anyway, this is <laughs> It's only a bit of well, fun, I th- you know, you know I, I, I think we can we can blame the Kerry people because of fungi. They started yes. it all. They started it all. Now, why would you be against this floating pontoon or this floating couch, which has been suggested for the walrus to rest on? Yeah, we just think he should be left alone. To be honest with you, um, nature is resilient. Uh, nature, you know generally fares much better when when our species who are so responsible for so many sort of so much environmental damage when our species just basically butts out uh, and leaves mother nature to its own devices uh this animal has proven itself to be uh hale and hearty to the best of our knowledge um uh, it seems to be doing well it's gone all the way down to northern spain and back uh it seems to be it seems and i i'm listen i'm no walrus expert uh there are none in the country but it seems to know what it's about it's like the track south all the way down along the, the you know the uk the french down along the spanish coast uh you know it's basically re, you know repeated that track on its northbound leg so it, it's not like it's just going to go zigzagging all over the place it seems to be following track lines which is suggesting that it's capable of navigating and the, the fact that it's it's, you know, over five months now through five countries and over 3,000 kilometers, it's actually found its way. It gives us great hope that this animal will return. And the more, you know, the more we intervene and start making it a more cozy place for it to rest, the more, you know, there's a sense that we might be just encouraging it to stay. And that's the, that's the very opposite to what we all want as a collective, everybody, no matter whether you're uh, an, an animal welfare organization, K- 
caring, you know, and you're passionate about the welfare of the individual animal, or whether you're more a conservation organization like the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, in which case you're kind of more focused on uh, animals at population level. Well, we all want the same outcome. We all we all want this walrus, wally or otherwise, uh, to, to go to home. Leave. Yeah, we want him to go home. We want him to go home. Yeah. And of course, that is, that is actually presupposing that he has a home to go to, uh, which raises far more, you know, far greater issues that we, no point in even discussing here. But his home is disappearing fast. It's melting. Uh, so, you know, we, we may well have to prepare um, for, for these eventualities becoming more frequent um, uh, as the, the Arctic home uh, of these animals, which is the the ice pack, is 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 Melt. perhaps not slowly melting, but yeah. it's melting. Yeah, yeah, we're back to to cli- to, to climate change. Absolutely, but, but the climate fa- change is at the centre of this discussion. Okay, I know boat owners are worried though because he has yeah. been damaging uh, boats. What's your advice to owners of boats? Yeah, I'd be very fair. This is a little bit like what happens, you know, when you've got big terrestrial mammals, country Africa and India, where you've got big mammals like like Africa, you know, elephants that come in and they do terrible damage. And yet, it's a real conundrum for wildlife managers because you know the animals are protected, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. and uh, and one of the issues here is that. We, we have a Wildlife Act which protects our wildlife, and the agency responsible for that wildlife is the National Parks and Wildlife Service. However, the likes of walruses are not native to Ireland, so they're what, they're what we call vagrants, they're extra-limital vagrants, to use a term. Uh, and, and that means that they kind of fall between the stones. They don't technically have protection in the same way uh, native marine mammal species or whales and dolphins and, you know, other pinnipeds like harbour seals or Atlantic gray seals have. Uh, so they don't have that same level of protection. We believe they should have. There should be some scope in the legislation that when these vagrants turn up, which is going to increasingly happen, that, they're, they're sh- they, that they should have the full rigours of the law to protect them from the sort of you know, nonsense carry on that we've seen in almost every little village or harbour that this walrus has come into, whether it's Waterford or whether it's Dunny Cove in Clonakilty Bay or whether it's, you know, Crookhaven in Roaring Water Bay. Every single town, this animal or harbour he swims into, it's going to become a circus because no matter how many times we ask people to, to watch this animal from land, you know, you're just wasting your breath, really, you know, because people people are far more interested nowadays in getting the selfie. Yeah, I mean, we, we heard last week of some woman who tried to get onto a boat that he was on oh, sorry, to, to take. And, and then she crazy. Just, just remarkable stuff. I mean, this is an animal the size of a bull uh, with, 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 with tusks instead of horns. I mean, would you get into a paddock with an animal the size of a no, bull? No, no. That, that was... That was potentially, you know, an animal. I mean, not even bulls kill farmers. Cows kill farmers in in, in County Cork or you know in Munster every year. You know, not even bulls. Cows are potentially dangerous. So there seems to be, you know, we do have this disconnect with nature, and that because the images, any image of a walrus, they look cute and quizzical and comical. You know, it's a big animal. It's a mammal. 
any mammal has the potential uh, to injure or worse maim or kill people uh, and this animal certainly has no problem in uh, because of a sheer weight in sinking boats so it is a real problem for boat owners uh, and you know I, I guess there are some precautions you can take like if possible you could you can move your boat out of the water which isn't ideal because there's still a couple of weeks in the summer left uh, but you you could throw a tarpaulin over it uh, and that would you know that would mean that it would be more difficult for him to get that leverage he needs. So pull a tight tarp over it and maybe protect your, your motor. If you have an expensive engine out the back, that's the sort of thing I'd be nearly considering Yeah, taken out of the water because they are expensive and I've no way of knowing what way your your marine insurance underwriters uh, will 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 receive a request for compensation uh, based on your 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 punt or your rib being sunk by a walrus? I mean, it's a really it's a really quirky one, you know. Yeah, but he's he's looking grand and healthy at the moment, and uh, and by all accounts, he put on he's put on weight since he was first sighted. So he's he. He'll hopefully start yeah. to make the journey home if people just leave him yeah, alone. Yeah, I mean, I have been in discussion with Brendan Price of the Irish Seal Sanctuary, and there's probably not a person on the, uh, in Ireland who knows more about large seals than Brendan Price, and he agrees that the animal looks hale and hearty. It's certainly feeding well, uh, so there's no reason to believe that the the animal can't, and you know, make it back. And the experts we've been talking to from Greenland and from the Danish Institute, who have loads of decades, centuries of experience with walruses, have said that in theory there's no reason if he's if he's if he's fit, why he actually couldn't get back to the Arctic. So that's really the hope that we we want him to get back to uh, to ground zero, which is Valencia Island, because for us that was the first time he was brought to our attention on the 14th of March. So once we can get uh, or the walrus can get back to Valencia Island, that's for us the real start of his journey because once he turns that corner around the Blaskets and Schley Head there, he for the first time is tracking north. He'll be doing a lot of north-westing but we want to see him tracking north because that is a straight line to his Arctic home and let's just hope that there's some sort of a home waiting for him when he he does get back. Please God, please God. Okay, listen, uh, Podrick, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Very welcome. Uh, good afternoon to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Patrick Welly, who is with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. He is their sightings officer. If you come across Wally the Walrus, keep away from him, please. Let nature do its own thing. And uh, let's hope uh, well, uh, Wally gets safe passage at home. 1850 If you've got a pet question for us, of course, now is the time to get it into us because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in a couple of minutes to so get your pet questions in. It seems to be all about animals today. When I mentioned the goats that are running around uh, St. Luke's, somebody said, I wonder what those goats looking for the Grand Parade. I thought about that, that song. Uh, we have a member of staff who will remain nameless. I don't know if he likes to publicly say it and that's his party piece when the goats broke loose on the Grand Parade. I thought the same thing today when I woke up and heard that there was goats running around uh, St. Luke's. Uh, thank you for that. Okay, then a couple of people reacting to the call that we had in this morning from Pat Infomoy who is talking about vaccinated people versus unvaccinated people and talking about how unvaccinated uh, people, if they get COVID-19, they're more likely to end up in hospital than somebody who is um, how an unvaccinated person more likely to end in a hospital than an unvaccinated person. And he's saying, do we need to now have almost a separate system uh, whereby if, if you made the decision not to get uh, vaccinated and you're doing it because for your own beliefs and your own views and, and whatever, then you do we need to, do those people need to be isolated from people who are 
versus those who are not vaccinated because he's fearful of the hospitals and what's happening in our hospitals and clogging up our hospitals. And if too many unvaccinated people get COVID-19, particularly this Delta strain of it, will we end up in a situation where there's no ICU beds for, say, somebody with cancer that needs an ICU bed or somebody who needs a scheduled surgery that can't have the scheduled surgery because there isn't an ICU bed. Some of your thoughts in on this, uh, Kira says, it is so crazy that people have the mindset of saying help vaccinated people over unvaccinated people in hospitals. If you get vaccinated, you're still sick enough for hospitalisation. Well, I'll stop you there, Kira. You're not. You're, you're not. Vaccinated people, some will end up sick in hospital. The majority won't. So you're wrong to state that. Anyway, doesn't it seem like making a choice to not get the vaccination isn't that? outrageous. If it isn't even that effective, if you are sick, whether you are whether you are also if you are sick, whether you are you have a right to non-judgmental care it's discriminatory to say otherwise says Kira. So it's Kira very much against what Pat is suggesting that there will be one sort of a health system for the vaccinated and one for the unvaccinated and somebody else says I'm not vaccinated, I have no intention of getting vaccinated. You can't have a a two-tier health system. I don't want the side effects of the vaccine. People have been vaccinated, have got COVID. We might as well get it tagged. It's my body. My doctor never cared about me last year, never got on to me once but when the vaccine for my age group was available he was on to me straight away and that is that is your choice not to get vaccinated but I just feel for those who are not vaccinated be very careful and very mindful and mind yourself because there is still COVID out there and then other people saying three of us over the age of 60 all fully vaccinated and yes we all did get the virus but luckily we were vaccinated and because of that we had very very mild symptoms and as everybody knows the vaccine doesn't will not 100% stop you getting it it lessens your chance of getting it but if you get it you don't end up as sick and hopefully don't want need to be hospitalised and better than anything it protects you from uh, death. And someone says, Hi, Pat in for Moy is 100% correct. Why should vaccinated, unvaccinated people be clogging up our hospital system, put all the unvaccinated people in one place? So there does seem to be a bit of a divide there. Uh, are starting to be a bit of a divide amongst the public about the people who are vaccinated versus those who are unvaccinated. Hi Patricia, you mentioned goats earlier and the goats that are running around and the damage they can do to gardens. Will you please tell people to be mindful and aware of cows crossing public roads, particularly for milking time? Tell them also to slow down if they see a horse and a rider on the road. Uh, animals are out on our roads all the time, legitimately out on our roads, but people need to be uh, careful. Thank you for that. OK, let's take a break and stay on the animal topic. And let's get Jane Pickett, our resident vet, to answer any pet questions you may have. Get them into us, 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let's get straight into some questions about cats. Seems to be predominant uh, at, at this afternoon. Uh, starting with the Mallow listener, I'd be very grateful to know, could Jane suggest anything that I can give or do for my cat to clean her teeth? She's 14 years old. She's never had any work done on her teeth thanking you. And that can become a problem in older cats, can't it? Their dental hygiene. It can. It absolutely can. I suppose the best thing to liken it to is if you can imagine if you or I ate a normal diet and didn't brush our teeth for 13 or 14 years, it wouldn't be a good state of affairs. We'd probably need some dental work doing ourselves. Um, And that's very much what happens to most cats. Um, Dental disease can be really painful, really uncomfortable and cause lots of other knock-on effects like swollen gums or gum infections. And it really can be quite a debilitating disease for cats. And it's very silently kind of going about their business. And a lot of the time we don't know anything about it until we notice a really obvious smell from the mouth, a really bad breath or they start going off their food and then it's it's really quite late in the game then and I suppose at that point um dental procedures to clean away the tartar um that has built up on the teeth so that discoloured plaque that has calcified um and also to improve the dental health because we will need to re- remove that plaque and tartar so that the bacteria that lives within it can be reduced and that will reduce the smell but also a lot of the time when there's been ongoing dental disease for a little while the teeth are only the tip of the iceberg um, and a lot of the disease in your dog and cat's mouth will exist below the gum line where it's not particularly visible. Um, so they may be in discomfort, pain and require dental extraction. So removing some of the teeth and I always say, you know, if a, te- if a tooth is suspicious, uncomfortable, painful or I might have some death within the, the blood vessel in the tooth, it's better out than in, you know, they're going to live away much happier minus a tooth or two if they're a lot more comfortable um, minus that toothache. So what I would say to this listener is it is worth if you have any concerns about your cat's dental health. And I think if if it's an older cat at 13, 14, that will be a reasonable concern. Visit your vet because they will need to assess the teeth, assess whether the problem is um, a buildup of plaque, tartar or a gum inflammation or infection. And it's most likely that their first protocol will be recommending a, a dental procedure to scale and polish and also remove any any loose or rotten teeth. It is very difficult um, to do anything constructive for these pets without doing that first, um, because if you can imagine if you were if you were brushing teeth or if you were applying products to teeth and they were already covered in loads of tartar and plaque, you know, it's not going to be able to get to the teeth and gums properly. And it's you know, going to be acting in the face of a very bad infection. So it's 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 not it's not the greatest thing to do. So your your vet may need to do some baseline dental work to get the teeth up to scratch. And then it's all about maintenance and things that you can do for cats. Um, toothbrushing is the absolute gold standard, but I'll hand on heart say that, you know, it's rare that you'd meet a cat that will tolerate a lot of toothbrushing unless it's been started when they were very, very young indeed and they tolerate it well. But there are other products like specific dental diets, which can clean the teeth as they go. And um, once you're starting from kind of a, a blank canvas of clean teeth, you can get water additives um, that use enzymes to kind of break down that little biofilm that builds up on the teeth from day to day. There are gels that you can apply to your cat's teeth that can work the same way. So there are various options. So speak to your vet first to see if dental work needs to be done 
And once that's all in hand, they'll be able to give you a management plan to maintain it, to make sure that your cat okay, is comfortable but, and eat it well. But if you've got a young cat, it's a good thing to start, get it, get it started early. So it doesn't, you're, you won't have the problems, yeah. Okay, and staying, staying on cats, uh, Jane, your namesake Jane, but this time Jane from Mallow, has a young cat that uh, sh- she says it looks like he's constantly starving. He's very, very thin. Now, he has been wormed uh, a couple of times. Uh, she brought him to her, the vet. The vet tested his bloods to see, well, did he have anything nasty going on? He's tested negative for things like feline AIDS or anything like that. He has a great appetite, but he seems to have a problem putting on weight. Has Jane come across this before? And now Jane in Mallow is wondering, could it be a thyroid problem in the cat? I think... I think I would be inclined to be suspicious of what Jane Mallow is suspicious of. So hyperthyroidism, so an overactive thyroid, is actually really common in middle-aged to older cats. And the classic presentation that we see is a cat that's kind of falling away to nothing, losing a lot of weight um, in the face of an absolutely voracious appetite. They'll eat everything all around them. They could sometimes become a little bit more irritable as well, um, a little bit more stressed out and wound up classically i think if some basic bloods have been done to rule out the biggies like flv fiv that's a really brilliant start um, but it does sound like a significant weight loss like this i would definitely recommend requires a full workup and your own vet will be the best person to guide you after after doing a full physical exam in your cat what supplementary tests might be required but just from what our listener has said here i would be a little bit suspicious about an overactive thyroid in this cat but there are many many other causes of weight loss in the face of a good appetite and um, that would need to be investigated so i think this this cat definitely needs to visit the vet but you might be bang on it might indeed be an overactive thyroid but there's other things that need to be but ruled in or out for, for the blood tests and then staying on cats this exactly. is this is a young kitten could you ask jane please how do i calm down at three months old kitten jumping all over the place thanking you says Susan a very hyperactive but very typical three-month-old kitten I have to say yeah probably quite typical um so a three-month-old kitten is roughly the equivalent of an extremely active toddler baby so you can imagine um, there's not much calming that can be done there. I think one thing that you can do is try and give them a lot of mental stimulation. Um, so lots of play, lots of toys to play with. A lot of the time we kind of think of, you know, cats running around and wearing themselves out running around is, you know, the only way of calming them down to make them sleepy like a baby so that they'll sleep in the evenings. Um, but actually mental stimulation in that population of cats when they're quite young can actually be much more tiring. Um, so they can actually kind of get a lot of mental stimulation learning about the world around them um but they can you know wear them out so that they'll be a little bit calmer maybe for cuddles on the sofa on your lap afterwards so what i'd say is there are a number of different things that you can do um sometimes you can do simple little puzzles where you can hide treats um in little kind of little they're called ruffle mats there's plenty of little kind of official puzzle feeders and things that might be more suitable for a slightly more advanced cat maybe from six months of age but at a three-month age, um, cat, their main skills that they're trying to learn are balance, coordination, and prey hunting. So one of those little toys that's on the end of a long stick and a string to play with that kind of mimics a bird or a small creature, that's actually something that they'll have a great fun kind of stalking for slow play and then pouncing and gaining those balance skills. So I would suggest kind of interacting and playing with your cat. Small bursts regularly will be really helpful. Tire, tire them out like what you do with children. Listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, Jane. We'll chat next Thursday. Good afternoon, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital uh, in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Before
before I go, just a final few comments in on Patrick Fumoy, who's suggesting unvaccinated people if, when it comes to hospitals should be treated differently to vaccinated people. Michael and Skip says, I agree with Pat in Fumoy. Unless people are vaccinated, they shouldn't be allowed into places. They shouldn't be allowed into workplaces. Michael feels that the unvaccinated people who end up getting COVID are taking beds away from people that need those uh, beds. These people don't want to talk uh, or take up a vaccine saying that they it's their right not to but they by taking up a bed when they go into a hospital they're taking a right away from say a cancer patient who might need that bed where are the rights of other sick people Dennis in Oxford listening to us online said it's simple the people who choose not to be vaccinated and if they are then admitted to hospital with COVID-19 charge them for the care that they receive. Surely that would be the fairer way to do it. And someone says tell that pious idiot Pat to go live in North uh, Korea. Okay, all right. that certainly is starting a debate that uh, people are on both sides of that fence and a huge number of people saying that they are getting the calls for Amazon, the scam calls in the last few days, particularly on to landlines and they're coming from a variety of different UK phone numbers so just be careful of UK phone numbers coming up on your caller ID lack of priests in this country Eddie says what about priests that are out on the missions well I don't know if priests are out on the missions are priests from other countries where they have a higher uh, vocation than we have we used to send priests to the missions before why can't we bring priests from other countries to come and work in our parishes would that be a solution okay that's where I have to leave it for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon Back with you tomorrow at 10 to I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.